This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 262. And the quote of the day is from Chase Jarvis, who said, If you don't write your own script, the world will write it for you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for checking this out. And you can grab all 262 episodes at drummersresource.com. You can also check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. Also, if you're looking to get bigger, better gigs, sign up for the free email course. It's a five-part email series to help you get bigger, better gigs, higher profile gigs, and better paying gigs. You can do all that at drummersresource.com forward slash gigs, G-I-G-S. Now, I want to get right into this conversation. This is a long conversation I had with the one and only Steve Ferroni, and we've been trying to line this up for a little while, as happens a lot with, uh, with these interviews, but Steve, one, has an amazing story right in the beginning to top it all off, but then we get into some some stuff about just just playing and approaches and and his thoughts on all sorts of different types of music and your path and where it goes and, and all that. And he is just an amazing guy. He has a great sense of humor. So you can hear him chuckling all throughout the interview and just everything is done with a smile with Steve. And I love that about him. So without further ado, let's get into it with the amazing, the one and only Steve Ferroni. Steve, how are you? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. Well, not anytime. Oh, I was gonna say, we, we're gonna, <laughs> you're now tuned into the to the weekly episode of the Steve Ferroni show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I, barking. Is, my is, he, is he starting to bark already? Yeah, but he heard something outside. Is Hey, we that's that's how it is, mm-hmm. man. It's it's real. We keep it real. So <laughs> there's siren, when I was recording in New York, there was sirens and you know. All kinds of stuff. Uh, so it happened. We might have that. I got a fire. I, you know, I, I moved. Uh, my house is right next to a fire station. And every once in a while, they go off. Oh, they, really? Their fire engine. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of being in New York. I kind of like it. Coincidentally, know? where I'm at right now, I'm next to a fire station. Ah, you see? So, That's what we New Yorkers do. <laughs> yeah. So we had, we had to, uh, you know, we got we to gotta keep ourselves feeling like we're at home. So uh, I got. That's right. Don't feel. You got to have some kind of noise. Of course. I, yeah, I, I moved here and I had to sleep with it. Now I have to sleep with a sound machine. <laughs> Seriously, I need some sort of noise. It's too really? quiet. Yeah, you it's have so, a sound machine. <laughs> it's so quiet. I, I need like some sort of white noise or maybe, maybe yeah. I'll just put on a show of like people fighting and, and arguing. It'll make me <laughs> sleep like a baby. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to get it. You have such a storied career. You've played with so many people, and I'm sure you've talked about this before. But I heard the crazy story of how you became Steve Ferroni. And I think it's such an interesting story with your last name and this winding tale, oh, yeah. this winding tale. And I'm, I know that you've told this before, but I think it's such an interesting story that I want the listeners to, to hear that because I think it sets the table for, for the story career that you've had, where you've done all of these other things and what better way to start than the way that you started. So, okay. Well, I was, uh, I was born in 1950 in, uh, in, um, in Brighton in England Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know, uh, Brighton, Brighton, and growing up, 
there was there was a lot of things that were like frowned on, social, socially frowned on in those days that are not so much frowned on today. Um, uh, one of the things was uh, when I was growing up, you know, uh, some kid some kid would would have sex with some girl and girl would get pregnant and then they get married and oh did they did they have to get married oh they had to get married because she's pregnant right right well chicken or well, the egg I, kind of thing yeah well I was I was I was like the only black kid for like miles around you know and uh, <laughs> uh, and I had this name Peroni uh, and um, and yeah you know, not not some it, it wasn't it really didn't sort of become an issue. Uh, about about things until about that until sort of like later on when I when I decided when I was about um, 15 I was playing with a band that wanted to go to Europe and I had to get a driver's license I mean I, I, mean, I, I had to get a, a passport mm-hmm. and so I went to the I got my birth certificate which I'd had ever since I was you know since I was born right. and never thought there was anything odd about it and I went up to get my uh, my, my passport and uh, the uh, the officials looked at the the um, the birth certificate, and they said, "Well, you know, we don't have a we don't have a record of a of a Ferone, and and your your birth certificate has been tampered with because the, the I had been changed to the end of my name F E R R O N I had been changed with an ink pen to an E, and uh, we my my parents pronounced the name Ferone, mm-hmm. but at school people called me Ferone anyway, so I mean it was like, oh Ferone Ferone, you know, get Ferone to do it, you know? yeah. It's sort of <laughs> and, like um, you almost have the same." the same issue uh, that Carmine Apice has, or is it Carmine Apice or Carmine Apice? Yes. That's so, it, yeah. And I've heard yeah. your name pronounced, you know, a ton of different ways as well. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because like people, people, if they ask me my name and I say Steve Ferrone, they go, what? If I say Steve Ferrone, they understand it. But when they read it, they say Ferrone. Right. So, uh, you know, so I, both work for me. I don't, you know, I don't <laughs> make any importance out of it. But um, anyway, so my my uh, my father uh, my father was West African and my mother was uh, was English, but my father was never around. He actually showed up just once when I was about nine years old, and um, and um, and uh, I didn't really have too much to say to him. You know, my mom mm-hmm. was kind of mad at him, really. You know, you know, I, I, and uh, and whenever I tried to talk to my mother about my father, she would get angry. Say, oh, what do you want to know about him for? So I just uh, hey, there's my there, siren. There's the siren. Yep. <laughs> um, I I kind of uh, managed to avoid asking her any questions about that stuff. You know, sure, I figured sure. it was her business. And, and um, then I went to get my passport, and and uh, and uh, you know this thing came up about my name, and and so I went to my. Uh, you know, they said, well, has the name Ferone Ferone been or Ferone been used? Uh, uh, legally, and I said, "Well, I guess so." You know, and they said, "Well, go and get a, 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 you know, a higher purchase right. or credit agreement that has been used on legally, and then we'll give you your passport in that in the F E R R O N E." So uh, I went. To, I went to the uh, uh, went to my mom, and my mom freaked out. You wanted to know why why I needed a passport, anyways. And I said, "Well, you know, if I want to travel outside of England ever, I got to have one." Sure. And she gave me a. You know, she gave me the, uh, the the documents and everything, and, uh, and I went up and they gave me my passport. So I have a birth certificate that says F E R R O N I and a passport that says F E R R O N E. So, so uh, uh, you know, and that was sort of back in the day, nineteen nineteen fifty. There was no computers or anything you could right. get away with right. stuff. You know, and, uh, so you know, as years went went by, I, I, I uh, when people would ask me like, you know, how come you got an Italian name? You know, and I'd say, well, you know. Uh, my great great grandfather 
was a, a great, 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 great grandfather was a dirty Italian soldier, and he was in uh, Africa walking through the jungle one day, and he came across this this wonderful, wonderful African woman bending over doing the uh, the laundry in the in the in the stream, and he felt you know our, our Italians are about you know a nice a nice shaped culo, you know so. <laughs> He, he made an honest woman of her, and, he, and, uh, and that's how Ronies became part of the black <laughs> tribe too. And, uh, and and people would laugh, and then they forget about the question, which was like the, my objective, and just was just continue. Sure. And then uh, some years later, I think I was about uh, 40, 45 years old. I was doing a session for some people in New York, and it was this um, a woman. Uh, uh, it was a family actually from I, I believe they were from uh, um, Austria and um, so this woman said to me uh, the mother who was the mother of the family that owned the studio the business in the studio production uh, studio she said to me well, how come you have a name like Ferroni you know where mm -hmm. did you get this name Ferroni from so I told her my story which would usually make people laugh and they'd sort of go away and leave me alone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, being Austrian of course she didn't have much of a sense of humour <laughs> And she said, okay, so, yeah, okay, so now what's the real story? Right. And so I told her that I didn't know, and, uh, you know, my father was from Sierra Leone, and, uh, you know, my mother was English, and there was, uh, there was uh, you know, some issues, they had some issues, and uh, my mom okay, sort of didn't tell me stuff. And she, she, and it turns out that she used to work for the United Nations, mm -hmm. and she told me that they, the United Nations had these uh, detectives that basically can find anybody uh, or and if they couldn't find my father, they could find out where he was buried or they could find out what happened to him or, or if he had any other children. And, uh, and did she want me to, 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 to start the search? So this was great. I didn't have to go through my mom. You know, right. I didn't have to talk. Right. Cause every time I mentioned my mom, it's like, oh, you know, what do you want to know about him? You know, so I just kind of left that alone. And they started, they started looking and, uh, um, and uh, uh, they didn't have any, uh, you know, they didn't have any luck because so I started getting these emails from uh, Africa, saying to me like, "Listen, we can't find his name because they they don't have anything on computer down there. Mm -hmm. They were looking, we can't find this guy Ferroni, you know." And I and I said, "Well," they said, "Do you know his birthday?" And I said, "No, I I, I don't know his birthday." So, well, if you can find out his birthday, you know, then that that'll help us. Mm -hmm. Shoot, I mean, I'd have to talk to my mum about this again now. So. So, so I plucked up the courage after like a couple of weeks of getting emails. Any news on this, you know, birthday? Right. And I called up my mom and I said, no, "Mom, you know, I started a search for dad. What do you want? What do you want? What do you do that for?" Said, mom, listen, you know, I have a right to know. My kids have a right to know. Of course. And uh, and I, I said uh, they're having problems finding him. So I, I need his birthday. Could you do you know his birthday? And my mom said, "Oh, I don't remember his birthday." I said, well, they said that they could find it. It was just going to take longer, but it would speed stuff up if, uh, if, you, if you knew his birthday. I said, I gave him both spellings of the name. You know, uh, uh, my mum said, what do you mean, both spellings of the name? I said, well, um, ending with an I and ending with an E. Mm -hmm. Ferroni and Ferrone. She said, your father's name's not Ferrone. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, who the hell am I looking for? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I said, so what was my father's name? She said, your father's name was Nicholson. Uh, really? And I said, so I said, well, um, stop it. <laughs> I said, so uh, he's got this hot. He's got this hot spot. He keeps looking at. It. Leave it alone. Um. Uh. So so 
she's, she said, father's name was Nicholson. I said, well, so, so where did Ferroni come from? She said, well, you know, she said, yeah, uh, it was that midwife. Now I'd heard about this midwife before, mm-hmm. right? This, this my, I was born in my house, not in a hospital. Right. 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 And, uh, and, uh, and I said, uh, so what's that got to do with anything i mean i have two middle names stephen arthur anthony Mm -hmm. arthur is my arthur was my grandfather's name so i knew where that came from and i always said where did anthony come from she said it was the midwife wanted you to be called tony so it what it turns out is is this is that (laughs) in 1950 it wasn't such a great thing to be get get pregnant and not be married right it also made it a lot, lot worse if you were pregnant, not married, and the baby came out black. Right. <laughs> so when I came out being born in this secret, uh, you know, in, in my house with this midwife. Right. And, you know, it was, it was, I guess it was, she could keep her mouth shut. Um, when I got born and I came out, I didn't have color, but I, I kind of looked sort of Mediterranean for right, them, right, I right. guess. You know, sort of, uh, and they said, oh. We're saved. He doesn't look like <laughs> he looks Italian. He's Italian. <laughs> yeah. And this this uh, this this lady had been to see this Alfred Hitchcock movie the night before, and I'd seen it. I, I, I believe it's called Lifeboat. It's a it's a story about a, a, a boat that that gets sunk by a U boat, uh, and and the people the survivors are in this lifeboat, and they're all trying. You know, and there's some people who are in the water, and the shark is coming up, mm-hmm. and the sharks coming up and eating them, and and the, the, you know, there's the there's the officer who's there, the naval officer who's there, who's telling, sort of giving people things to do. And there was this guy in the back, like a strapping, handsome Italian guy, and they can never remember his name. And they, excuse me, Mister uh, Mister Ferroni. And he said, "Oh, Mister Ferroni, could you could you could you do this or could you?" Do that? And so he would do all this stuff. You know, he, they had him doing stuff, and and. Uh, and and every time they go to ask him to do something, what's your name? And he, in the end, he kind of gets vexed, you know. It's right, Ferroni, right, right. You know? right. Uh, and, and and so this woman had seen that uh, that film, the, the midwife, and said, "Well, why don't you call him Tony Ferroni?" <laughs> and uh, and my mother said, "Well, I want to call him Stephen." So we call him Stephen Arthur Anthony Ferroni, and that's how I got that's how I got my name. That's insane. So, uh, you know, my mother came out with that when I was, as I say, I was about 45 years old, like like it was nothing. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? Why has you know, this been such well, a big you know, secret? A lot of time gone by. Well, you know, because my mom never moved out of Brighton, really. Right. And, uh, that's, that was kind of done. Uh, so yeah, how does it work legally with, with your name then? So I guess My name is Ferroni. It became legal when they uh, when I... When they they accepted it as my passport, it's an official document. So. That's insane. Yeah, that's such an amazing yeah. story, though. <laughs> I, and I, I like I just got a kick out of it because I I mean the listeners know you don't know, but like you know my last name's Ruffini. I go to yeah. I'm, I'm Italian, and I'm like all right, let I'm gonna I want to put this together. And then uh, I heard that story, and I was like all right, I gotta let the listeners the listeners hear that story because it's such yeah. a great story. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, I went to live in Italy and I learned Italian and I, I found it pretty easy to learn Italian. It wasn't very difficult. And I figured that was because of my Italian heritage, which just wasn't there at all. <laughs> as, a matter, as a matter of fact, I just did one of those 23andMe searches and, uh, and it turns out that I'm, uh, I'm something like 48% West African. Oh, really? And you know, you know what 51% of me is? What? You'll never believe this. It's not British. It's not English. 
It's Viking. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so my my on my mother's side on my mother's side there's a little French, there's a little South African, very tiny amount of South African, and a tiny amount of French, and a little bit of English, and but most of it is Viking. So um, I guess my mother, my mother's uh, side of my family uh, of my family came from uh, marauding Viking pirates, and I guess they. Uh, they stayed there and pretty much stayed within their own uh, within their own race. So now, there you go. So. <laughs> now you have me wanting to do one of those twenty three and me. I'll find out. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. I'm going to find out that it's going to be half half English and half African. Yeah, you know? right. And it pretty much when it when it says you know you're you're forty eight percent African, is that where there must be probably some mixtures in there? But right, yeah, you know, the rest of it is going to be English. And then it came up that I'm a Viking. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, That's but you know, over the uh, over the years, I've I've come to find out that um, uh, you know, I'm not the only person that has that situation. Sure, that that, that that's happened to happened to a lot of people. And as a matter of fact, my mother, a friend of a friend of a good friend of my mother, uh, uh, you know, my mother, my mom, he passed away. He had cancer, and my mum said to me, "Oh, you know, uh, I forget his name now. I've got a picture of him over there." She said, "Oh, you know, he died. He, he passed away. He had cancer. It was horrible. Wally. His name. Oh, Wally passed away, and it was a terrible, terrible thing. You know, he had a terrible, terrible life. You know." And I said, "Really?" She said, "Yeah." She said, "You know, he had this. Uh, he, he was raised with just his mom and 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 his aunt, and and uh, there was this uh, man that used to come. He used to call uncle, and he used to come and see him, and uh, uh, every once in a while, and everything. lived lived in the West Country." And she said, uh, "Do you know that he found out that his mother was his grandmother, and his his aunt was his mother, and this uncle that used to come and visit was his father?" <laughs> and they never told him. And I said to my mum, "I said, Ma, you did that to me." And she said, <laughs> "Yeah, well, that was different." <laughs> You're like, are, "Are we are we telling my story, or are we telling yeah. someone else's story?" <laughs> exactly. You know. So. It's, <laughs> And I've met lots of people that have had things like that. You know, As, you know I was I was in I was in a lot of shock when that happened because it was you know I'm sure you can imagine. You know, it was 48 years. I thought I had my father's name. Right. And uh, I, uh, the first person that when I came out of it, the first person that I talked to about it was Tom Petty. Really. And uh, yeah, I, I went over to his house. He was uh, he was uh, living down there near Santa Monica and uh, at the time and. And I went over and I saw him and I told him what had happened. And I said, oh, I'm just stunned by all this stuff. You know, he sat in there listening. He said, well, you know, he says, you've done, you've done a lot of stuff, right, in your life. And I said, yeah. I said, he says, you got, you've, you've, you've really accomplished a lot of, a lot of stuff. He said, um, and that's the, everything that you've done was accomplished by Steve Ferroni. It wasn't accomplished by Steve Nicholson. You know? Right. Yeah. He said, so you actually made the name mean something. So it's your name. You own it. He's a very wise He's a very wise man. Yeah, that's that's yeah. good perspective. So yeah. you would I, briefly you had mentioned um, about living in Italy, and but you played with uh, with Pooh, didn't you? I played with Pooh uh, just a, not, just a few years ago. I played with them when uh, Stefano, their drummer, retired. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't when you were living because those guys are like they're like the Chicago of Italy, right? Oh, absolutely. They're yeah, huge. I mean, I knew them. I, right, we right. met them. You know, I mean, it was all the every musician knew every musician. Back sure, then, sure. And, uh, 
we'd all everybody would sort of hang out in the same sort of clubs and stuff you know okay i didn't know how recently that was that you were playing i didn't know if that had anything to do with you moving to italy or if you were just going to italy to go or- no 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 i went yeah. i went i went to italy uh I, I went to italy with this band i think it was around 17 years old and i went there for a week to to uh to, to, to play in a club for a week and and on the way there we got into a, a, a we, we crashed in a terrible blizzard we crashed into a back of a truck and Jeez. split the engine block of the car and then we got towed into into brussels and we unloaded all the stuff onto a train all the gear and then we went to italy on the train ah. and um and um you know that was back in the days uh, when england wasn't part of europe when you mm-hmm. had to go to to get from one country to another you had to go through all this border stuff, you know, to get to get a move around Europe. Mm. Uh, uh, I don't know what people think was so great about that because it was a nightmare <laughs> to go and do anything, you know. Right. Um, work permits and stuff like that just to go and work in Europe to do stuff in Europe. You know, so, but um, you know, I don't know whether that's going to end up. But um, uh, uh, so uh, we we went down and, and got to Italy. And and uh, when I, we arrived in Italy, it was like maybe sixty, sixty-five degrees, which was like a boiling hot summer, right? For us back then, you know. And, and uh, all I could think about was like being stuck in that van on that in that blizzard and the cold in England at winter. And uh, and I stayed there for three years. You know? Nice. <laughs> somebody somebody offered me a job and said, "Do you want to stay down here?" And uh, a guy named Ronnie Jones asked me if I want to play in his band, and I played in his. I stayed down there and played in his band. Nice. It's a beautiful. Italy is a beautiful country. I spend a lot of time. It is. There. It is there. Yeah, I go there a lot myself. Still. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. So yeah. how uh, we're going to jump around a, a little bit? How how did this whole thing start? How did you get into playing? Like what what, what was the the precipice that made you get into playing well, in the first place? Um, I, I when I was a little kid, uh, my parents noticed that I I, I had a. I used to be able to sit in my high chair eating, and 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 the music would come on the on the radio, and I would bang my spoon in time with the music. So they figured out that I had some uh, uh, um, that, that, I, that I liked music. That there was mm. something that was uh, effective. There was a, that was that would touch me every whenever I heard music, and they used to take me to to concerts and things, and uh, to see to see shows, uh, um, variety shows. And um, and uh, always the musical the musical things really used to really get me going. So they they decided uh, pretty much as soon as I could walk that they, <laughs> that they were going to take me and give me some tap dancing lessons. And uh, my grandmother was a big Fred Astaire fan. And, right, uh, right, right. G- Gene Kelly, Gene Kelly fan. And, I feel like that's the secret. The ta- I feel like the tap dancing is like the secret yeah. that nobody gets. It's like I feel like every <laughs> drummer should go. Take tap lessons. Well, for a most, of years. most, a lot, a lot of them do. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, it gives you um, uh, because you, you tap dance to basically to standards. You, mm-hmm. you, you learn about song structure, about introductions and, and the verse and the chorus and, and, and the dynamics within the song. Mm-hmm. It, it taught me, it taught me that you know how to how to hear it, listen to a song, and where a song, what a song's doing. And um, and when I was twelve years old, I got a job. I got a job on a. a, a on a on a variety show in one of, one of, in, the, in the theater, the Hippodrome, Brighton Hippodrome, where where, where my parents took me, and um, and I got a job working with a, a, a huge English uh, sort of TV star guy named Max Max Bygraves, and uh, he um, uh, uh, there was a children's chorus in the summer show, 
and I was part of the children's chorus. And um, and while I was up there on the stage one day, we used to, they had this song, they had this twist song, and we'd all stand up there doing the twist, you know. And and I looked down into the into the pit, and I saw the drummer, and I saw him. I said, "Oh man, look, he's using one, playing one hand different, one hand's moving different to the other." And then I went upstairs and I tried to do it, and then, and then I just kind of got the motor skills, got my motor skills together to do that, and then right. tried to. Add, I heard what he was doing with his feet because he couldn't see what he was doing by it, so I tried to to put my feet with it. And then I heard take five. The next song I heard was take five. So I learned how to. <laughs> so that was, that was another one that was a bit of a challenge. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a tough tune to <laughs> try to figure out the, you know, the yeah. second tune you're figuring out is take five. Was, yeah. That was the thing. The thing that intrigued me was that this is not in four, four, this is in five, four. Right. And so, how old were you at the time? <laughs> how old were I was, you? Um, how old was I? Yeah. Uh, 12, 12, 12. So, I mean, so, but you understood like time signatures and all that by that point, right? No, no, uh, I, I, I didn't really think of things. I mean, I, I mean, I, I used to have to count when I was, uh, 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 tap dancing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd count, I'd have to count the time and then there was a syncopation that fit into the time. Right. I was very good at doing that. I mean, I, I used to, 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 they used to enter me in competitions and, and I used to win. Uh, I used to win competitions. So one competition I won. Uh, out of uh, I got the highest points out of the whole whole festival. Um, um, I won this uh, this cup. I won it. I won it twice. But one time I won it. It's called the Beryl Baxter Challenge Cup. And uh, and I won that cup because um, I, I went out to do my dance. Uh, uh, you know, because you learn a dance. It's mm-hmm. not, you, know, you learn you learn a dance. And you practice that through the year, and then you go and do it in the competition. So I learned this dance, and I got out there, and I guess I was nervous, and I got about ten bars into the song, and I completely forgot everything, <laughs> I for- and, and I couldn't figure out what to do. So I made up a dance, and uh, and I, every time, and I and I remember, you know, I had to use the space on the stage uh, um, uh, uh, to think about the song, how the song went. So I just made up this dance. And every time I got over near my teacher, she was standing at the side of the stage and she was whispered to me under her breath, stop and ask them to start again. <laughs> and I just and I, and I just kept going. I just refused to stop. I just, I just kept going. I can just picture you sort of like spinning by your teacher yeah. and with this like grin on your face and you just can, and then you're you're gone and then you come back and spin yeah. by her again and go back out. <laughs> So we, we, I finished the dance and I did that and I won first class, I won first place in the with that dance, and then and then uh, the, the, the the you know that when they when they come to the, the the awards the cup awards, you know none of us thought that we that we we'd ever get a cup out of this thing sure. and and we were sitting in my living room and my teacher came running down the stairs and she said because nobody had, we didn't have phones then, mm. and she said you know you got to come we we won the he won the cup he won the cups. <laughs> <laughs> had to go and re- redo my dance at the at the place, and this time I remembered everything. Right, <laughs> and, and so if the judge was sitting there watching, the judge was saying, "It's not the dance." That doesn't seem like the same dance he did <laughs> earlier. It's, it's a good dance, but that isn't the dance that he did before. I I can <laughs> I can appreciate the idea of forgetting what you had. I had a jury when I was in college, and I went to play this piece. Totally forgot the piece, so I you know I made it up. I improved it the whole way through, 
And I'm thinking, oh, I, I got like these guys don't know the difference. So the one, one of the, the, uh, one of my professors was there and he said, oh, you know, sounded good. I was like, yeah, he's like, look at the bottom of the page and it says arranged by Will Rap and he's yeah. Will Rap. <laughs> he arranged the piece and I was like, all right, I'm caught. Well, what are you going to do? It happens. Yeah. So, I mean, by all, by, not by all standards, but by, a lot of the people who I talked to, you're, you were sort of a late a late start playing drums, like with drum, Yeah, well, I started when when, when uh, uh, right around that time. I used to go, I used to go to this place called the Regent Ballroom on Saturday mornings. They had like a little club for for kids, so you could you know parents could drop their kids off there. And we it was it was a real ballroom where they would have like um, uh, bands would come and play and uh, and. They would have this thing in the in the morning on the Saturday morning where the little kids could go there and pretend to be adults, you know. Right. They said we'd only drink Coca Cola and and um, and and they, and they'd have a disc jockey for us and we'd dance and stuff. <laughs> cool. And I was there with my friends and we, and we always did very well, like you know, with the dancing with the girls because we used to like dancing me and my friends and, and so, but. We didn't get the we didn't get the you know because the, the, like the Beatles had started to you know and the girls going crazy about bands and stuff you know mm-hmm. and uh, and we were still kind of little on the little side of that we weren't in the teenage years yet and uh, and when they, they had this band Manfred Mann uh, Earth Band came and they were playing that night in the club and I guess they were doing their sound check and they decided to do it while we were for us little kids right. So they did their sound check and they played a few songs for us and, then, and me and my friends stood there and watched as every little girl in the place were like going crazy over this band. <laughs> You're like, well, and I, I said, know what I'm going to do. I said, yeah, I said, <laughs> you know, this is, this is, this is, we need, we need to have a band. We need a band. <laughs> <laughs> so we started to, we found a guy, found a guy that had a guitar. His parents owned a, owned a, 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 a garage so he, he, had, he had like the, his parents had a little bit of money you know we all sort of mi- lower lower middle class working right. family you know my mum worked in a factory my father was a milkman my grandmother was a stay at home grandma and uh, anyway we all uh, you know and uh, this guy his parents owned this uh, 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 a gas station and he, they, they bought him a real guitar and his dad had taken an old uh, 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 record player and um, rigged it somehow that he could plug into it and the, it nice, was an amp. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And, um, and uh, he used to bring his record player and, and we'd go over to, and I had a toy drum kit and we'd go over and we'd, he had a, he, we built a bass, you know, with the, with the <laughs> tea chest with the broomstick with the <laughs> piece of string and we'd go over and we'd play I Saw a Standing in There. That was the only song that we knew. <laughs> How did it sound? And yeah, I guess it sounded pretty good because we enjoyed playing it. We yeah. never got tired of playing it. That's all that really yeah. matters, that anyway, right? Yeah, but the guy, the kid who had the real guitar, you know, because he he had this real guitar which sort of elevated him into being in the music stores. Mm-hmm. He used to go. He was like a little kid who had a real guitar, so it it, it allowed him to be able to go to the music stores and hang out in the music stores as a musician. I got you. And uh, all the older musicians uh, used to go and hang out there too. And he was in there one day and there was this band and they were talking to the owner. They looking, they needed a drummer because their drummer, uh, 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 their drummer was, uh, 
uh, I don't know, it was going to be his appendix out or something like that. And they had a gig and they needed somebody to fill in for the gig. So my little friend, who's like, you know, sort of hanging out with these big kids, they're all like 18 years old. <laughs> he said, I know a drummer. So he says, well, it's this black kid. He plays the drums and he's really good, yeah. And so, and they were a blues band, so they liked anything that was black. Right, you know? of course. So they said, well, tell, it, tell him to come over to, to this. To, gave, the, gave him the address. Tell him to come over over this evening and uh, try out play for the band. So, like I say, we didn't have telephones then, you know. Right. So he came over to my house and he said, hey, there's this band, these big kids, and they need a drummer. And I told him about you. You want to try out for them? And I'm like, well, yeah, fine. Yeah, that would be cool, you know. But you didn't have a drum set at the time, right? No, but they had one over there. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so I go, I go over there, and uh, and um, and uh, I I, uh, I sit down with these kids, and it was kind of intimidating because they were like, you know, seventeen, eighteen years old, you know, and I'm here, I am twelve, thirteen. Right. I was like the little, I was like you know, one of those kids that those kids, whenever they saw it, whenever we got in the way of those kids, they would mm-hmm. like beat us up. Right, you know? right, of course. <laughs> They wouldn't beat us up. They give us, they give us a slap, and you know, and um, uh, and uh, so it was a little intimidating. So I sat down and I played with them, and they liked how I played. And they said, "Okay, well, you want to come and do this gig?" So I went and did the gig, and uh, and uh, and um, when the guy, got, other guy, got out of hospital, uh, they fired him, <laughs> and I had the gig. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you something here. Um, I know you you like to see this. this is, I know you won't be able to see it on the radio on the podcast, but I have a photograph of that first gig. Somebody sent me a photograph of it. Well, I can uh, I can screenshot it, or you can send it to me. I want to see it now, but you can send it to me too, and uh, yeah, and I yeah. can I can put it it's in a, the show notes of the uh, of the podcast so people can see it. Okay, where is this thing? Here? Where would it be? Uh, yeah, uh, no, there isn't. Uh, um, photos. Where's my file? How do I get this to go back to oh albums? There it is. <laughs> okay. Um, drums is in there somewhere. Uh, okay. So there's there's. Um, okay. Oh wait. Get rid of that. So that's that's the um, that's the band. Nice. You see that? Yeah. So that's the band. Yeah. Can that's you send? Me, can you send me that? Yeah. And then the the other one is. Um, the the, the, the the first gig was that was the first gig and we were called the flames uh, we were called the flames then that's awesome so what you did see I, me like, back there yeah so they like my little bow tie <laughs> yep so how yeah. uh, you just got these pictures or you've had somebody them for a while? sent them to me I forget who it was it sent no somebody sent them to me a couple of years ago and I, and I said and I looked that's, that's the first gig I ever played man that's awesome <laughs> I wish I had a picture of the first gig I ever played. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and uh, and uh, yeah. So they made me the drummer in the bands, and that was uh, that was the, the beginning of it. Nice. I'm still, I'm still friends with the with the singer. As a matter of fact, I saw him last time I was in Brighton. I went down and um, that's his name's Mick Terry. Is he still playing? He he still plays. Yeah, he yeah. still does like the odd gig here and there. Nice. It's so cool how these these relationships that you start, you know, years ago, you never know one where they're going to lead or how long they're going to last. Or like, you know, at the time it was probably like this inconsequential thing, but now here you are talking about it. How many years later, you know? Yeah, I know. And well, you know, and uh, yeah, it's funny because that, you know, Laurie Paul was another one of the guys in the band and he still plays and uh, Mm -hmm. I'm in touch with him. 
Uh, I haven't been in touch with Jim Guilford, who was the guitarist, and I know Sandy. Sandy got married to Mick, and they're divorced now. But um, uh, I, I don't. I don't know if she sings anymore. But um, hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah but you know, some of the guys still play full time, or they do it on the side, or no, just just for, they play for fun. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what? Yeah. I mean, so you're 12 at that point, and then there has to be a point where you get like really serious about it and. I'm well, interested yeah, to know, like, I, what sort of what your training was like too, and well, what happened? What happened was was that you know I, I went from band to band. I, like I went to Italy, and then I went from band to band in Italy, and then I was uh, I, I, that that point I was coming up on 21 years old, and uh, and I was really thinking about you know what am I going to do for a living? I mean, basically, I was just a kid that was running around Europe, having fun, meeting lots of girls, playing music, and playing in clubs, and. I said, I got to do something, uh, you know, coming up on 21, I better do something to, to, uh, uh, to make a life, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and I sort of, uh, I, I wanted, I, I met these American guys that were working on, com they, they were working on computers and I thought that's kind of interesting. I thought maybe I could go back to England and, you know, go back to school and maybe start learning how to do that. And then, uh, but the band I was working in, they said, listen, um, uh, these guys, they, these guys, uh, you know, I realized because they, they were all school musicians and they read music and and um, and I kind of I, I understood that there was a lot of things that I would have to learn if I was going to be a, a professional musician. Right. And uh, and they said, look, we got a, a residency in the uh, Palais de Mediterranean uh, Casino in Nice for a year. Um, you know, do you want to come and do that? Or do you want to you know, sort of stay and join another band? Right, right. And I said, well, I said, do you think, could I get into the conservatory? And they said, we should be able to get you in there. So they, um, they arranged for me to, um, to, to, uh, 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 to join the, uh, go into the conservatory. The, the, I went down there and we, we moved into the casino and I got, I had to get all my paperwork together to, to live in France. Right. And uh, um, uh, I did that, and uh, um, uh, 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 the the uh, this uh, the prof, the uh, percussion prof, a guy named uh, Jacques Carré, uh, came down um, uh, to the casino to see me play, and um, I played with the band, and uh, and he said, so you know, what do you want to learn? I said, well, I, I want to learn how to read some music so I can become, a, I want to be a professional musician, and. Uh, you know, these guys know a lot about music that I don't, and I just want to want to learn. And he said, well, you know, you're actually too old to get into the school. It was a state-run school, the conservatory. Mm. Um, he said, that, you know, because the eldest you can be to get into a percussion class is uh, 15, 15 years old, and you're 21. Sure. Uh, uh, I said, well, so what can I, do? what can I do about that? And he said, well, I'm going to make you a teacher. <laughs> you what? You're like, no, I need, I need to learn. <laughs> <laughs> he said that. He said, he said, he said, you know, the school is a is a classical school, and all we teach is classic drums. We teach um, uh, um, which is classical percussion, you mm -hmm. know, which is basically you don't. It's not meat and potatoes drums like sitting there and playing time. It's just like little, you know, like like timpani things or like little snare drum things and you know um or a tom tom thing you know. right but uh, but it's not playing you know it's not playing he says you know you it's, can play 
Mm-hmm. You can, you know how to play, you know how to play rock, rock drums. So we want to keep uh, the the young kids interested in uh, in percussion in the school. So what we do, we're going to make you teacher. You teach them how to play. You teach them how to play drums. Yeah, you know, modern drums. You teach them how to do Bernard Purdy or Billy Cobham or right or Charlie Watts or you know, and uh, and um, and uh, you teach them about that, and then we'll let you. We'll let you uh, join the Soulfish classes, and uh, and uh, and I'll give you a, a instructor in a, in technique. Nice. And so that's what I did, and I, and and the one year became three years, and I did that for three years, and then I got a phone call from Brian Auger, um, because I, I jammed with him a couple of years before in, in Italy, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, you know, uh, 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 I'm going to go to America. Would you like to come to America with me? I said, oh, I'd love to. And he said, okay, you got a week. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to sell all my stuff, uh, sold my car, and um, got, uh, got, got a replacement. Um, um, uh, Jean-Paul Sicarelli right. is uh, uh, Andre Sicarelli, the great Andre Sicarelli's mm-hmm. brother, younger brother, came and uh, took my place in, uh, in the band. And, uh, and I uh, went to England, I flew to England, and the next thing I know, I was on a plane, and I was flying to, and uh, and I was in New York, and uh, that was kind of like the start of my American adventure. So he was just moving here, and wanted to know if you wanted to go. With no, him. he he had a he had a we had some gigs. He had some gigs in. Um, uh, there were some gigs in uh, a, a, a gig in New York, uh, a gig in Boston, and then we drove from Boston uh, to uh, Los Angeles and played at the Whiskey. Ah, and we drove. Okay. We drove. It, we, it was sort of like a. It was sort of like a, a vacation, really. You know, didn't make any money doing it, but uh-huh. uh, we 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 played. We played. Uh, we played the uh, uh, the club in New York, and then we played the club in Boston, and then we got like two two station wagons, and we drove in convoy across all the way across uh, uh, the United States. It was a pretty pretty fun thing to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, then it was fun. I don't want to do it now, but of course, was, uh, <laughs> if you're young, yeah, uh, it's a fun thing to do. To take it, you get you get to see, uh, you know, pretty much like nothing and flat until you get to the Rockies, and then you mm-hmm. then it, then it gets really interesting going through the Rockies, and then you come out the other side, and you're in the desert, and you get to Vegas in the middle of the desert, you know. Yeah, and then uh, you know, just a beautiful countryside, and you just pull into California. And then we played at the Whiskey A Go Go, which was, uh, you know, California was uh, um, something that we'd heard about uh, over there, but not really experienced. It was right. all our, all our first experience in coming to America. What year was that? Seventy three. Seventy three. That was like, yeah. that's like that's prime time in L.A., right? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, and we got to hang out with some people up in this house in uh, Laurel Canyon and. Uh, you know, it was hanging by the pool, and the weather was beautiful, and it was, uh, you know, it was uh, making making music, and just uh, really, enjoyed. it was just really fun. So when you and got, sort of, oh, I was just gonna say, when you got here, is that is that sort of when a lot of things started clicking for you? Because I mean, well, you did, yeah, I mean, we did that, we did that tour, and then we went away, and then we came back, and we recorded an album at the uh, at the uh, at the at the um, at that. Uh, uh, um, at that venue, at the, at, at the whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Auger live at the whiskey a go go, and and then that started. People started to pay attention, and people started, "Who's the drummer?" and uh, and, uh, and I started when I was back in England. 
I was playing with a, 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 I started playing with a bunch of session guys in the a band called Gonzalez. And so I would play with those guys. Uh, um, and the rule was it, it, you play in the band until you had to leave town and then somebody, another guy would come in and play, play, play in that band. Right. And they would play with the band until they had to leave town and another guy would come right. and then, uh, or you would go, whoever was back, whoever was around would come. Sure. And uh, uh, with them, I, I did a, I did a, I did a show uh, where where I uh, we opened for uh, at the Roundhouse. Uh, we opened at the Roundhouse for Average White Man, and I'd, and Robbie Robbie McIntosh uh, had been a really good friend of mine in Italy because he was there in Italy with a guy named Alex Lidgetwood, wow. playing with a band called the Senate. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, actually, Robbie, when Robbie, Robbie joined the Piranhas, and then I followed him into the Piranhas, and then he went into Jabrian Orga, and then he went into Average White Band, and then I, they called me to come and do the, the, the Brian Orga thing. Mm. And then when Robbie, when Robbie passed away, I was out here, um, I was working with a band called Bloodstone, because uh, the producer, the, the, the first producer that I worked with was a guy named Mike Vernon. Mm hmm. And he he produced uh, uh, the uh, Freddie King Burglar album. That was the f- my first uh, uh, album as a studio musician. Ah! So that was a pretty good. That was a pretty nice start. This session is brought to you by my friends at DW Drums. And not only do DW make amazing drums, but they foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. And you can learn about all of their great products at DW, Gretsch, LP, Gibraltar, all of that at DWDrums.com and all their other sites. Be sure to check them out. They've been supporting this podcast for a very long time. I definitely appreciate it. And they just make great, great products. Check them out, DWDrums.com. While not all successful drummers read music, today's drummer needs every edge he or she can get to surpass the competition. So whether you need to start from the beginning with basic rhythms and notation or need to improve your chart reading and interpretation skills or want to challenge yourself with sight reading, the drum reading course offered by the Drum Program at Musicians Institute can help you become an expert reading drummer. To learn more, visit mi.edu. Musicians Institute, instrumental in life. It's no secret that drummers can't agree on much, but they do agree on the Evans UV-1. And with its patented UV-cured coating, it lasts longer and holds stronger than traditionally coated heads. uv one single ply of unique 10mm film is more resistant to stretching and denting. These two features combined make it the first choice for drummers who've grown tired of heads that flake, chip, and wear out before their time. You can learn more about the UV-1 at EvansDrumHeads.com. And now more from Steve Ferroni. A lot of times people think that there's some like there's some secret sauce or there's, you know, something some secret of how you can how you can do this, you know, make a career out of this. And I stress all the time that it's all about relationships and you can see just by, you know, connecting the dots going backwards looking at just that situation where one thing led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, there seems it seems to me that uh, you know, things have, the way things are done now are, are totally different than the way things were done when I started. How so? Uh, well, you know, ne- okay, let's start with back then. Back then, you know, you you make friends as as musicians, and then you you play. Uh, somebody would say, okay, is an example when I was in Italy. 
out in Italy, and I met this guy. It was in the in the in the, in the all, all the musicians always used to hang out in the same places, the same coffee bars, the same clubs. They'd always they'd always be in. Everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. It was a songwriter a guy named Lally Stutt, and he was from uh, he was from Liverpool, and uh, he came one day to the to to the, to the club I was working in, and he said, "Hey, Steve," he said, "You know," he says, "I got this song. I need a drum thing for it. It needs like a." To the drum introduction, I don't don't really know what to do about that. He, he said, uh, "Do you think you could come to RCA Studios tomorrow and uh, and uh, and do do a session, do a session for me and work out this thing?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And um, he pulls out this song, and it's this bubblegum music, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's this uh, it's this song called Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap, <laughs> which is like a, which ended up being like this major success, like all over the world. Is and he said, you know, I got, I was a, where's your mama gone? Where's your mama gone? Little baby done, little baby done. And he says, I need to have this thing before the song, before the music starts. So I came up with like, where's your mama gone? Where's your mama gone? <laughs> so I did that. And uh, we did, we did that thing. And then Lally, Lally said to me, he said, listen, he said, I'll give you a hundred thousand lira. It sounds like a lot of money. It was 40 pounds mm-hmm. and that was what i used to make in a week and um uh, he said i'll give you a hundred thousand lira or you, you can take a point on the song and i said now nah, just give me the hundred thousand <laughs> of course <laughs> that is this massive success <laughs> but the you know but the thing is is that um yeah you know, okay you want to look at the other side of that story is that lally lally uh, uh bought with the money that he made from the, that song he went and bought a motorcycle and then he ran it up a tree and he killed it <laughs> Hey, 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 stop, stop, no, stop, stop it, hey, Tiki, you want to go in your cage, cage, yeah, right, that'd make you quiet, I know yeah, you don't want to go in yeah, there, yeah, she knows she's in trouble then, mm-hmm. look at her face, look at his face, look, <laughs> sit down, and be quiet, sit down, right, there you go, be quiet, be good dog, good dog, so, so, yeah, so, so that was kind of how things got done, and, and you, you would, you know, you people would do demos, and you go and you play a demo. So people people would would uh, would 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 ask you to do a demo, and then you do a demo, and then they take it to the record company, and the record company says, oh, "I like the song, okay, let's cut it." They give it to a producer, the producer would listen to it, and he'd say, "Oh, I like the way the drummer's playing, or I like the way the bass drum, bass bass player's playing." We use them, we use them on the uh, we use them on the on the. Uh, on the record mm-hmm. and so then you would get to do that record and then that record then that producer would get another song and he might use you on that too right. and then you get sort of past and then somebody would say oh who's that playing on that record? you know and things would go things would go that way right um uh uh that was you know the uh, uh like i jammed with brian auger in a club one night and we were all sort of hanging out and we jammed and i played with him one night and then two years later or three years later he needs a drummer, and he thinks, "What happened to that guy back? Where, where? Who knows?" Oh, so, oh, I know where he is. He's in the south of France. So he tracked me down, you know. Right. And and then he asked me if I wanted to do it, and then I went. So one thing, you know, and, I, and then I come here, and you meet other musicians, and that was how things used to work. Now, this whole thing about promotion, the, you know, the promotion on the internet, and the, you know, self promotion, uh, writing resumes. I mean, I never had to do stuff like that. I never did stuff like that. I just used to go play, and then somebody would hear you play, and then they would want, you know, so who's that playing on there? Or they'd hear somebody play, you hear you playing on something, 
and uh, and it was really sort of like word of mouth that got you around. You right. didn't have to, you know, promote yourself in in any way. How hard do you think yeah. it would be for you now? Say you were twenty now. Yeah. Um, do you think that the cream would always rise? You know, the cream always rises to the top, and and yeah, I don't think I don't think that you know I don't think I don't think that there would uh, I don't think that there would be a difference at all. Be a problem? No, I don't think I don't think that there would be much of a difference in mm-hmm. things. Uh, yeah, I get. I don't, I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody sent me something the other day. Where did that thing go? It was, uh, it was something uh, when I when I was tw- when I was twenty. There it is. And I say, that's a good looking guy. I don't think I'd have any problem with you. <laughs> I had a hair. I had sideburns. I was skinny. Hey, good looking son of a bitch. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I would have had any problems getting getting from point A to point B. There's a uh, there's a story. <laughs> my my family has been in the restaurant business for years. There's this guy who's been delivering bread since 1974. He's never missed a day ever once. This guy yeah. has, has more money than he knows what to do with. And he said, you know, my friends always make fun of me. And they say, you used to have a lot more hair years ago. And he said, yeah, but when I had a lot of hair, I didn't have any money. I like it a lot better the way I have it now. <laughs> Well, that's you, you know. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I th- I think uh, you know. I, I mean, it's funny because I, I don't think that any of us, uh, uh, the musicians in those days, I don't think we ever sort of came into it for the money. You know, I right. think we came into it because we wanted to make the music. You know, mm-hmm. um, it seems to me not all. I mean, there's 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 there are some some bands that are what i call the real deal you know mm-hmm. uh, um, they're not um, uh, i mean a lot of a lot a lot of the guys now it seems like it seems like a lot of the bands it seems like they're playing dress up you know right. that the, the, they're sort of like they 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 come in and they want to act and be rock star and and where where everybody just was rock you know Right. It, 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 we were. That's what we we were. It was part of us. It was you know, And there's still. There's still. Thank God. There's still. I mean, I remember when when Nirvana showed up. It was like a breath of fresh air to see them. It was a, to, to see to see that that kind of real deal. You sure. Know? And and um and uh, uh, right now I'm liking that band Cage Cage uh, Cage Elephant. My good buddy is the guitar player for that band. He's really yeah. good too. Yeah, his you name know, and, Nick, and, Nick Bachrath. We we grew up together. Yeah, played together. I saw, together them, for play, years I saw them play at the Tom Petty thing. We we did that, and then they came and played at the Petty Fest. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're oh, the yeah, real I deal. They, the I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I really I really like them. I, I listened to their album, and I, and I and I and I like them. And I, they, they 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 they're a good band, a band, and not just like somebody like a front, you know. You know, like a singer and some guys. Right. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's they're a, a band. It's a band. Mm-hmm. They're a real, real band, and it's and it's really great. To, it's great to see that. And it's you know, really Nick, refreshing. Uh, Nick, the guitar player. I mean, he went to he went to University of the Arts in Philadelphia. He's a, he was a you know mm-hmm. jazz guitar player and everything. I mean, he's he's definitely like you said. He's the you know he's the real deal. That whole band is really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a he's a well-rounded player. I mean, you can tell it. They're, they're, they have something. This is just something, some substance is, uh, um, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's something that just, uh, I, I don't think, I don't, you can't learn how to do it. You either do it or you don't. You know? right. And, uh, and, uh, and, um, and, I, and, um, 
I think you know when you see when you see uh, you know a lot of the classic rock guys that that, that can still rock you know like the Stones can still rock at, at their mm-hmm. age and and the Heartbreakers you know we're not spring but, but we it, it, it's just something that we do it's just a, yeah we we can't can't go like half tilt we have to right, right, it right. has to have a, that you know. Man, I just so, saw so, I just saw the Chili Peppers a couple about a month ago, and you know yeah. Chad hooked us up with you know front row seats and everything, and watching those guys that close, I mean they're all in their fifties, mid fifties, and like yeah, rocking, how they rocking it? They're younger than we. <laughs> <laughs> we all got like 15, 16 years on that. Right. <laughs> we were already playing when they started. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come see you yeah. when you guys are out here and. I'll, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll be like a, we'll do the tail of the tape there. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the, do you think that there's, do you think it's hard to develop that cohesiveness when you have that constantly revolving cast versus somebody like you, I mean, like the heartbreakers or, or KG elephant or chili peppers or, you know, once in a while a guy here or there gets swapped out, but the, the nucleus is pretty much the same. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I, Look, I, 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 I've, I've, like, with the poo, I, I mean, I've, I, somebody asked me when I went to, to Italy, they said, you know, do you realize the magnitude of the job that you decided, you know, the pair of shoes that you decided to fill here with the, in the poo, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, yes, I do. I, 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 am, I am aware of that. However, it's not the first pair of shoes that I filled. Right. Yeah. You know? Uh, uh, Robbie McIntosh with Average White Band. Uh, Robbie was a great drummer, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a good friend of mine and a great drummer. Uh, when I played with Brian Auger, that was that was the, again filling in uh, his shoes. Right. When I went to the Piranhas, uh, uh, Andre Sicarelli uh, was the drummer with the Piranhas before. Um, Clapton right. playing with Clapton. Uh, uh, Phil Collins was, was had done the album prior to the one that I came in and started started playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done it with Duran Duran, uh, Roger Taylor. Uh, so I, I'm not, I'm not, um, it's not, uh, oh, and, uh, and Stan Lynch with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, um, a stranger to uh, uh, having to go and uh, uh, pay, pay my respects to people that have done a body of work. Sure. Uh, uh, um, uh, before, I, before I got there. Uh, uh, but I'm also not in, not um, not afraid to make my own stamp on something uh, too. So well, I wanted to ask that: what your approach is when you go into this situation where you say, "Okay, I want to pay homage to the person who did it before me," but I'm Steve Ferroni and I want to I'm going to put my my signature on it as well. Well, you know, I mean, basically, I'm a pocket drummer. That's 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 my that's my my job is to sit down and and, and hold that rhythm down and find where this the comfort zone for the for, for any band that are playing yeah you know? but the, when you listen when you listen and, and you watch an audience and, and uh, you watch an audience when you start to play those songs there's certain things in the recording that resonate with an audience that you can see like a certain kind of fill yeah it's like it's like you go see phil collins and, and you see that. and you see in the air tonight and if you played anything out there right the audience <laughs> the would be going what the hell was that right yeah, <laughs> yeah? 
<laughs> yep. So I think I think you know it's it's kind of like the uh, the, uh, the 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 the. the the, the last, the la, last dance with Mary Jane. Right, there's that feel. There's, so I usually play I don't go but it's still a nod to that to mm-hmm. that feel, you know. And um, uh, uh, yeah, I think that there's certain things when you, I mean you have to listen, you have to just listen to the dang record. It pops right off at you. Don't you? You know, I shouldn't really do anything other than that. That's 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 kind of what what it was. Unless you come up, unless you can come up with something that totally kills it, then mm-hmm. you know, then then uh, then just leave it alone. Don't ask, don't argue with success. You know. Sure, sure. There's and keep it simple. You mentioned earlier about meat and potato drumming, and then you just mentioned again about being a pocket drummer. One of the many yeah. things I love about your playing is just how solid you are. I mean, it's like it's defining when you when you play drums and one it always mm. sounds like you but it just sounds like it, it there's such a strong foundation there and is that i mean do you think that's something that's just natural or did you really work on that or can other people work on that i think it's always possible to work on on a on pocket you know, uh, um i i had to i had to work on mine, uh, when uh, you know these guys with the piranhas, there was a guitarist uh, named uh, Jean Claude Bonavar, who was a stickler for pocket, you know, and he would, you know, he's, uh, you know, uh, especially slow, slow pocket. Like he uh, made me listen to Ray Charles a lot, you know, drowning my own tears to play really slow. Um, uh, 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 I had to, I had to really concentrate on. Uh, um, on, on listening, listening to, to how something felt, no, you know, just really sort of feeling that thing, and you know, I had to lay back a backbeat when it when it needed to be laid back, and, and finding my area where that that felt comfortable for everybody, that people could hang off of what I was playing. And uh, the day the day that I did it, I remember the day that I did it. I was in playing in a club just outside of Bologna, and. Um, uh, um, uh, with the piranhas and uh, we I played we played this set and I played every song from beginning to end every song was right and when I came off they looked at me and they said you did it and I said I know I did it <laughs> <laughs> you just feel it and I, I I felt it and then I never had to think about it again so it wasn't so, something that you went in and shed in the practice room or anything like that it was just no, it was practical playing and concentrating on the song and the feel of the song and and uh, and, and 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 how the band felt, mm-hmm. not on what I was doing or how I was looking. The difficult part that I see with a lot of players is the way that you know playing like you play or or a lot of guys like you who get hired all the time. Um, yeah, it's not sexy when you put it on YouTube. So I think kids gravitate towards this thing where they're like, "Oh, it's flash and it's all this stuff," and but that's that's not what gets you hired. No, that's, you know, and it's not. I I always remember in Dugu Chancellor saying the amount of times I've gotten called to do a drum solo, you know, yeah, I can I can count on one hand. But the times yeah. you get hired to play pocket, and really that I think that's harder than all that other stuff anyway. Absolutely, you know, uh, you know, you know. What's funny is that uh, it's every once in a while, every once in a while, 
somebody that, that would, it would something to come up. You need a drum solo. You know, uh, never happens with the Heartbreakers. Thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, and uh, and sometimes, yeah, I. Uh, uh, it's funny, as I say, I do one drum solo a decade. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, uh, it looks like you're going to get it. So whatever you get. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I enjoy playing. I, I enjoy playing with, with uh, being an ensemble player than I do more being a soloist. I, I don't really enjoy sitting there playing on my own. I, I like to play songs. Right. Do you and, think it, that's and, um, a preference thing, or do you think that that's a maturity thing? Do you think players get there as uh, they mature? I, I think I think it's a preference, a preference for me. Yeah. No, no, I never had the desire to do that. I never wanted to be do the drum solo. I just wanted to play with the band. Right. You know, make right. the band feel good. Coincidentally, you saying that that I've noticed when I started Drummers Resource, I purposely took some time off from touring. And I noticed that my practice routine kind of fell to the wayside. And then I started mm. to put it together and I realized, well, because there's no, there's no outcome here because I'm not taking this and proving it on the bandstand for musical sake. Right. I'm just learning this right. stuff to be able to play drums better. And I start to, I start to sort of lose the interest to practice if it's not going to equate into music. The only things, you know, I mean, I'm very bad at that. I'm not, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not discouraging anybody. Not trying to discourage anybody from practicing. Uh, Vinny, Vinny has a very strict uh, 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 practice routine, and mm -hmm. and then then it shows, and he's playing. Right. But um, uh, you know, everybody's different. Uh -huh. Hey, they're leaving again. <laughs> uh, everybody's everybody's different. Everybody has a um, um, a different way of uh, of looking at things and I, I i just don't the only things that i ever go if i if i'm gonna woodshed something is if i'm stuck on something that i can't play if you're stuck and on then something i'll go play. yeah or if i if, if there's a, if there's something that that i want to um that i need to work on some motor skills for a minute and then i, I i'll go and, and sit in there and and, and work on that right um I, I don't just sit out there and i i i I get bored just sitting out there playing with myself. I, I love it when when musicians come over. Sure. And uh, and uh, and and we we jam. I jam all afternoon. I don't have any problem with that. You know, mm -hmm. just play a couple of songs and you know, turn on the Pro Tools out there. And of course, and, uh, just play something. And even if, even if it's rubbish, who cares? We just play something, do some stuff, and come up with some ideas, and just uh, just just play something that's different. And, and, you know, even if it doesn't, if it never gets used, if it just stays out there on the hard drive, it's just fun to do. Right. Yeah. That's why we started this whole thing in the first place, right? That yeah, fun. exactly. So exactly. talking about the Heartbreakers, you mentioned that, that it's such a great environment to be in and you feel, one, fortunate to be in that situation, but two, you think that, that you wish that everyone could have that sort of, that sort of uh, musical experience in their life. Absolutely. And Yeah. yeah it's, um, go ahead. I, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> No, it's a it's a it's a very very special very special relationship. You know, I mean, the Heartbreakers don't really we don't really socialize that much. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, I think most people just kind of really stay within the confines of their families. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah. It, you mean outside of the um, tours, you don't talk much or anything? No, I mean, I see Ben every once in a while, and uh, I, I, not, I can't say that we're not friends. We are friends. We're very close friends. It's a it's a family, you know, uh, um, 
but we don't uh, we don't we don't socialize like a whole lot as a band and and, and it's funny when the band does get together I, I, you know, I was I was saying that, that watching band the band behavior is uh, is is it's funny it's, it's just funny to see if you put something else in the in the midst of that band that what happens to the where we all normally are in our own space you know right uh, the bangles came and sat, came and sang with us at the uh at the music cares uh thing and and when they came to the rehearsals so all of a sudden there was just three girls that were all of a sudden they were in our space you know <laughs> and 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 it was funny because Everybody was sort of over there, and and, and I, everybody kind of usually stays in the you know, Benzini's keyboard area, and Mike's over there, and uh, I mean Mike's Mike's over here in between, and then Scott and uh, Scott's on the far side there, and Ron there, and, and Tom's sort of like his area is kind of here in the middle, and I'm by my drum kit, and that's kind of where we all stay. We right. kind of communicate from there. All of a sudden, there's these three girls uh, in the band that are singing with us. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everybody's over on that side of the stage. <laughs> so then they're like, "Why is everybody over there talking to them over there?" You know. <laughs> uh, uh, went to a a, 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 a party uh, up at Tom's up at Tom's house. Uh, it was for his uh, for his granddaughter when she was born, and like a baby shower sort of thing. So everybody went up there at the Tom's house. And I arrive, and there's you know, there's you've got sort of like bars, a couple of bars out on the lawn and little food, food places, you know, to go and get some food. And I arrive and I take one look, one sweep of the, of the, the uh, of the, of the, the yard. And I say, Oh, the, the heartbreakers are really behaving themselves. You know, everybody's sort of spread apart. They're all talking <laughs> to other people, you know? And uh, so I go and grab my stuff and I go over and I sit at this table and next thing, you know, you know, Tom comes over and sits down and Ben comes over and Mike comes over to Scott and Ron. And the next thing I notice is that the band is sitting at this table. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everybody else is staying well away from us. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of leaving us alone. You know? Right. <laughs> so there's, this, there's, there's these, uh, there's these behaviors that happen when you, uh, when you're actually in a band, uh, uh, when you have that, um, uh, there's a, there's a, there is a closeness that, that happens uh, with the heartbreakers, uh, but it's all it's all really um, uh, all, all about music mm-hmm. with this band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you yeah. like the idea of I'm I already know the answer to this, but the idea of the band setting versus the hired gun rotating cast that sort of thing where you just come in do the yeah, tour and well, then you go home and. There's not much interaction uh, yeah. with the rest of the guys in the band, or with the you know with the lead singer, or or the front man, or. Well, I mean, I can't even say that because you know, I mean, the uh, Eric Clapton's band uh, uh, was was very, very, very uh, uh, tight as uh, uh, as friends. You know, um, I still work with Alan Clark and Phil Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we uh, they they went on to play with Dire Straits and did a lot of arrangements with Dire Straits and we go and play Dire Straits music in Europe every once in a while with some other guys from Dire Straits that used to play in the band uh-huh. and um, so I think they're such an and, underrated and, uh, band yeah it's a great band oh man and, I love and, that uh, band. and 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 um, uh, Tessa Niles and Katie Kasoon are uh, 
really, really good friends. I, I went and saw, surprised Ray Cooper, uh, Olivia Harrison said, she called me the other day and she said, I've, I found Ray Cooper, he's, he's, he's playing with Elton John in Vegas, do you want to go and surprise him? So she got like a bunch of people together and she got a plane and we jumped on the plane over here at Van Nuys Airport and flew to Vegas for the night and went and surprised Ray Cooper. Nice. And uh, and I had a lot of stuff that I had to do, but I dropped it because I wanted to see Ray because he's that he's that good a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I love him that much. He's such a great guy. And Chuck Lavelle, Greg Fillingaines, and we all get to play with each other. I mean, anybody who ever came to that band, we still get to play with each other and uh, 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 make music with each other. Right. There's a camaraderie, the camaraderie that was in that band that was uh, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and. Uh, it's a life lifelong friendships. Yeah, the the people that really mean a lot to me. There and, was uh, a uh, and, and and I mean a lot to them. We mean a yeah. lot to each other. Uh, that, well, that's I, I it it seems like from watching award shows or watching you know different uh, different shows that are going on benefits and 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 different concerts. There's mm. there always seems to be a lot of the same people, you know. And yeah, I so mean, it goes to your point of. You know, everybody's friends with, hey, we should get Steve to play on this thing. And then, you know, we're going to use this guitar yeah. player. We're going to get this guy to do it. Or, you know, it seems like there's a lot of, yeah, uh, I, a lot of cross-pollination. The, the, the musicians, the, you know, when you talk about, you know, the rotating, the rotating band, I mean, it's like, you know, I play with Nathan East maybe once, once a year. Sometimes it'd be a couple of years I don't play with him. But when I sit down with Nathan, it's like I've never, never stopped playing with him. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Same with Greg Filling games. We just sit down and we start playing. Um, uh, uh, these are the cream of the crop studio musicians that, you know, that it's always great to sit down and play with that caliber of musician. Sure. Um, um, I think the, you know, uh, that caliber, that caliber of musician is different from, from a lot of the bands that, uh, that people are using to back artists now. Right. Right. I know that they're good musicians, but it's just not that that studio that studio musician that can be dropped like Pino Palladino. Another example for you: of somebody, you know, uh, John Entwistle dies, Pino Palladino walks in there and plays that and owns it. Yeah, yeah. he's a monster player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Why? Uh, why do you and, think that and, is? Why and, do you think people don't play like that anymore? People don't what? I said, why do why do you think that there there aren't musicians of that caliber coming up now? Well, because it seems it seems motivated it seems motivated by the wrong things. You know, it's kind of like it seems motivated by uh, uh, basically just you know it's like we're going to do this and make money instead of mm-hmm. we're going to do this and make music. Yeah, right, right. I, I mean, I, I mean, you hear Petty talk of, if you listen to Petty talking about. You know, we got our guitars, started to play together, and there it was, you know, in that sound. You know, we've been listening to the Beatles, and we were making, we were able to make that sound. Right. It wasn't like, yeah, now we can make some money. It's like, <laughs> we can make that sound. You know, how do we, how do we write songs? And you start to write songs and say, well, how do we get them recorded? And, you take, and then we learn about the, the business side of things and uh, to going through some pain. I don't know, you know, uh, that of, uh, of the older guys uh, at one point or another got ripped off by something, yeah. Right. Had right. to learn a lesson. Sure. You know, I know. I know. Uh, I know. I average white band. We had that. We had the same. We had a problem with that. But, mm. but um, 
you know, it's, it's kind of, I think it gets, it's, it's, it's kind of that thing is like, if you weren't making money doing it, would you still be doing it? And, right. and yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the answer's a big resounding yes for, you know, for me. Right. It's I, I guess it's hard to, at some point, you know, there has to be economics involved if you want to do it as a career, you know, on some level. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, you have to have some kind of self-value too. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a, I mean, I know, I know guys now that play with bands that uh, I, I don't know how they're, they're, how they're living, you know, it's, uh, they're, they're not. Um, you know, because it's because it's not a band band. Right. They 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 you know they don't uh, they don't really make a, that much a good living at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I don't know how they do it uh, or why they do it. I I know. No, because they get told this is the only gig in town, and if you don't do it for you, somebody else somebody will do it else cheaper. Will come and do it. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing to talk about how great Dream symbols are, but it's another thing to actually hear them for yourselves. And the good thing about Dream is not only do they sound great, but they're also priced well below the competitor's prices, so that way you can actually afford to buy these symbols. And if you don't think you can get a great sounding symbol at a low price, check out DreamSymbols.com. But first, I want you to take a listen to what these things sound like. To learn more about Dream symbols, be sure to check them out at DreamSymbols.com. Speaking of, of playing, I watched a video. Um, I've seen it numerous times before, but right after Prince passed away, it sort of went all out on the airwaves of him playing this crazy guitar solo at the at the. Uh, oh, was well, that the George? Ha- it was the George, yeah, Harrison. George Harrison. George Harrison induction, yeah. Right, and you were playing drums behind him. Yeah. What? I, like, yeah. How insane was that? Oh, it was fantastic. It was really, it was really good. It was a great, and 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 a lot of all those antics he did, like you know, falling off the stage when he fell off the stage. You had that big black guy that caught him. Right. We were all like, we were all horrified. We thought he'd fallen <laughs> off the stage, and then when he threw the guitar up in the air and the guitar right. vanished, we didn't even know about that. He did. He put on a whole show for us. It was as much a show for us as it was for the audience. Yeah. I thought so, about that too when I when I seen him throw his guitar and I was like, where yeah. where the hell did the guitar? Where did, did it go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, all that the showbiz thing aside, and that's that is just close your eyes and listen to that guitar solo. That is a great guitar solo. It's insane. And there was yeah. a, I don't know how true this is, but there I've heard this that someone asked Eric Clapton how it felt to be the best guitar player in the world, and he said, "I don't know, S Prince." Uh, no, I don't know. That. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but I've I heard. Uh, I don't know. I've heard many people quote that. So, um, one last question for you. I know that we've been we've been here for a while, and I I do appreciate it. So, you guys are getting ready to embark on the 40th anniversary tour, right? You guys start April That's 20th. Great. Yeah, we got rehearsals, rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. Yeah, you yeah. don't know the tunes, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, we're doing some that we didn't play before, so. Oh, nice. So, yeah. does this does does this tour preparing for this tour does it feel any different than than any of the other tours, and I don't mean that in a in a negative way, but more of you know, is there is there more pressure because it's an anniversary tour? No, no, it's more pressure because we all got a bit few more aches and pains than normal. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we um, it's a little bit different this time because we you know we, when we had the Bangles come and sing with us, mm-hmm. Tom got used to hearing those high harmonies, those beautiful high harmonies again, 
and he asked them if they would come out on the road with us and uh, they um uh, they couldn't do it because they had some other obligations which is a shame because they're really 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 nice girls and so uh, uh he contacted uh, a couple of girls from england called the web sisters who um uh, 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 uh they used to sing with um oh god what's his name oh, god he passed away um a couple of months ago um Oh god, I'm, I'm terrible. Who's the, who's the guy? Uh, he's a singer-songwriter. Hang on a second. I don't know if I look it up on if I look it up on the internet, it'll tell me. <laughs> That's why nobody. We don't need to know anything anymore. We just look it up on this the is, internet. See, this is this is good thing. Is it digital? Yeah, it's a great thing. Ah, um, oh, who? Sisters. There they are. Leonard Cohen. Oh they yeah, used, yeah. They used to, they used to sing with the. Leonard Cohen, and they're really, really uh, talented, very talented young ladies. So great, they got great vocals. They're really nice. focused. Nice. And so you, they're fitting in very well. So it's a little, little different. And yeah. you guys are all over the place. I mean, you guys are all over the East Coast, the West Coast. I mean, you guys are in, in Europe yeah, for. You got, got to do one show in Europe. In the, oh, in it's London. only one show. Okay. Yeah, the uh, at the um, uh, Hyde Park. It's a big. big oh show. yeah, of course. Yeah, Stevie Nicks is going to do that with us. Awesome. And. Um, we got Joe Walsh's out on the road with us for some of the tour, and um, yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be a fun should be a fun summer. Awesome! So yeah. anyone anyone who wants to check that out, they can just go to TomPetty.com. Also, for you, what's the best way for people to sort of follow you, keep an eye on what's going on? Should they do that on Facebook, or do you have a website, or what's the best way to do that? Uh, um, I don't have a website, and uh, you know, I just got Steve Ferroni. Somebody, a guy got the found got Steve and gave it to me. That was so nice of it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Who was yeah. I, Somebody yeah. was talking. They they uh, someone stole their their website or like bought the domain, and then yeah. was like tried to sell it to him for like five thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, I mean that that Ferroni dot com was was like five grand. They wanted to. I mean, yeah. Sons of bitches. <laughs> and it's funny because that that band, I mean, first band. We started off as being the Flames, and then we changed our name to the Web W E B. And I said, "Dang, if we'd have known, <laughs> man, had you known, if if I knew then what I knew, what I know now, <laughs> I would be getting royalties from any time somebody said the Web." Yeah. <laughs> so, where's the best place? Uh, Facebook for now. Facebook would be about it, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, TomPetty.com. Is a good place to find out what's going on with us. Okay, and you don't do any? Do you do teaching or anything, or private teaching or anything? Not really, no. No. I mean, I, every once in a while, I sit down with somebody. Oh, that was the other thing I was telling you about when you were talking about pocket. Mm -hmm. Was a a, a, a guy, a, a friend of mine, came with his kid. He's just getting started playing drums. He's got his son, he's like nine years old, and came to brought him to a club I was playing at, and uh, and uh, and I was. Uh, and afterwards, uh, you know, I said, so you got your drum kit if you want to. I said, you go get some lessons uh, uh, and then I'll come over and I'll sit down with you for a bit. You know? And uh, and then they left the club and there was a couple that was sitting like next to me, that, sitting next to when I was having this conversation. I walked over to the drum kit and this lady got up and sort of dragged her husband over and she said, excuse me, I, I couldn't help hearing you talking to that that kid. You're going to give him a drum lesson. I said, well, yeah, because, you know, his dad's a friend of mine. Too. Mm -hmm. She said, well, you know, it's my husband's birthday and he'd really like to have a drum lesson. So I said, 
I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I'll tell you what, I said, give me a call at the end of next week, uh, uh, in the middle of next week, like Wednesday of next week, and uh, and if I got some time, <clears throat> I can't do anything this week, but if I got some time next week, I'd, uh, I'll sit down with you for a bit. No. So the guy calls me up, and I said, okay, so come up, come up with the house, he comes over, and, and uh, I get him out there, and, uh, and sit down and start playing, and uh and it was pretty easy to see what was up with him. It was he was kind of a little bit disjointed in what he was playing. And so basically I told him to count out loud and play. And as soon as he started to count out loud and start playing, everything popped right into place. Huh. And I said, Well, you just need to you just need to count out loud for a while until you get used to doing that until it becomes you know, when you're playing. Right, right. And and uh, it turned out that he's a he's a an engineer at the Jet Propulsion Lab. <laughs> and um, a very nice, very nice man. And um, and uh, he plays in his uh, local, he was, uh, he's, uh, he plays in his local church. Told him, stay away from the fills. Just count the time yep. about the song. And um, he's now, he's now the number one drummer over there at his church. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, yeah, it, it was just a question of count out loud and, really concentrate on what you're counting is and forget about anything ego wise. Just think about counting that song out. Right. So there you go. Everyone just got a lesson from Steve Ferroni. There you go. Easy. And uh, I'll be sending everybody a bill for it. I will, uh, I'll, (laughs) I'll give you my, my, uh, my PO box. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, well, Steve, I want to, one, I want to thank you for, for doing this. I know you are a very busy man, so I appreciate you sitting down, chatting yeah, with gonna me. Get ready, gonna get ready, get out, go rehearsal. There you go. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I, I know that I've been trying to get you on for a while. The audience has been requesting to have you on for a long time, so I do appreciate yeah. it. And uh, best of luck out there on the road. Break a leg and safe travel. Yeah, I guess I'll see you out there. So that was the one and only Steve Ferroni. I hope you dug that. That was such a great conversation. I love how energetic he is and how how just he he laughs at everything. He's so, he's always in a good mood. It's just it's great to have someone of his caliber come on here and just be so humble and and just so uh, open to talk about anything. Super cool of him to do. And for the show notes for for this session, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session two six two. Please, if you like the podcast, blah, 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 please rate and review. I can't talk. Uh, if you dig this, do that. Head over to iTunes and you can leave a rating. You can leave a review and share it with your friends. Let them know. I know a lot of non-drummers check this out as well. So if you have any non-drumming friends, tell them as well. There's some definitely some good nuggets of wisdom in here for any musician who's out there. So... If you do that, I love you. And if you don't, I love you anyway. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.